I'm so glad we say that this morning because that is exactly what we're going to do as we go back to Colossians uh, today. Um, we've been out away from this book for a few weeks, and so I wanted to launch us back into this. And I thought since we've been out of it for a little while to go ahead and read briefly the first part of the chapter as we are going to be looking today and tonight, actually, in Colossians verses 15 through 20. Beautiful passage, considered one of the jewels, not that all of God's word isn't a jewel, don't misunderstand me, but in the crown of this passage we look at today is a transcendent beautiful picture of Jesus that we normally don't consider and we need to. And we're going to see the preeminence of the sun this morning. But to, for a reminder, for a refresher, let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. And by the way, it's still doing that today. We saw that last week in um, saving of Paul's friend, the gospel. Since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, and now Paul describes a very specific prayer that he has for this church that he's never met. He knows Epaphras well. He's never met these folks, and yet he prays for them specifically. We have not ceased to pray for you, Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. We've spent much time on that topic now. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Folks, you should be convinced at this point that yes, each of us can walk in a pleasing manner. We can walk worthy of the Lord every day. In a worthy manner. If you haven't seen that by now, then I feel a failure, <laughs> because we can, that's our promise, through Christ's work in our lives. So may you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to, to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. How has he qualified us? Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. We're going to see some of those that dwell in that realm in just a few verses. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is a description at the end here of what God has done for us through his beloved son. That word there is most loved, loved above all. God and the son and the spirit have this incredible supernatural loving relationship that we in some ways have a hard time fathoming. But his beloved son is the one through who the agent, 
his plan would be complete in which we would receive redemption, which means that we would be uh, the, the slavery, uh, the, the price of uh, slavery over sin, Jesus purchased, and we're free from sin, and we have forgiveness of sins. Well, that's marvelous in and of itself, but at this point, it's uh, like as um, Paul has been talking about Jesus Christ, the beloved son, he launches into really, really, really one of the, really one of the most Jesus Christ in the entire New Testament, and he's describing here the superiority and the preeminence. Preeminence really just means the all-surpassing greatness, the all-surpassing superiority of God's beloved Son of Jesus Christ in marvelous terms. Here, let's read this together. Then we'll pray. He is the image of the invisible God firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. There's our word. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Lord, it's marvelous to read these words. And as we sang just a few minutes ago, we rejoice that we will get to meditate more on Jesus Christ today and tonight in ways that we don't ordinarily tend to think of him, the descriptions here and attributes that we don't always meditate like we should. The deity of the beloved Son is transparent is proclaimed in this passage, Father, and we rejoice in the fact that Jesus is God as a beloved son. He has always been. He always will be, and he is our creator, and we were created for him. Father, help us as we look at these few verses today to be overwhelmed with that fact that life isn't all about us. It's all about Jesus. And we, we were made for him. We were created for him. Let us live lives that reflect that. Not all of our own concerns and our own desires and selfish ambitions, but that we're living life for Christ, honoring and glorifying him. Lord, if we ask for you to do that work in our heart today, even as we are reminded of these glorious truths, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The preeminence of the Son, and Paul is going to point out his preeminence, first of all, in pointing out that the Son is the Creator, was the Creator. First of all, he is superior to all of his creation. And here we have, even in terms of, of what we saw in our study in Hebrews recently, how Jesus is superior to all things. Well, Paul, in his own way, is going to describe that here. Look at verse 15. We're going to take our time today and tonight 
I actually was planning on doing all of this passage this morning, and then the more I studied it, I thought, yeah, we, we just need a full day just to reflect on these truths and not pass through this quickly. And uh, so we're going to divide this up in looking at verses 15 through 17 this morning, verses 18 through 20 uh, tonight. The sun is the preeminent, the great, all-surpassing, superior creator. He is the creator, and he's superior to all of his creation, the sun is. Even as we read these verses, you may detect, if you've read these over and over again many times, that there does seem to be a subtle shift in the writing here. In fact, many scholars think that Paul now quotes a common church hymn because the writing is so flowing. Uh, it, it, it breaks, really, from his description of his prayer to a beautiful flowing description of the role of the sun in creation and the whole cosmos. Now, I'm not sure, we don't know for certain, if, if Paul's quoting this from a common church hymn. I tend to think that if it is a hymn, that Paul wrote it himself, just like uh, David did in the Old Testament. But these are beautiful words and profound. So verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. What does this mean? Well, actually, we really do need to understand carefully these words because these were misunderstood in church history. And unfortunately, in ancient church history, there was some ancient church heresy that was adopted because of this that had to be remembered. Um, and let's so let's look first at this first phrase in verse 15 and discuss it further. The image of the invisible God. Again, there are some ways that Paul describes um, Jesus here that are unique to his writings, but they're not unique to other passages of Scripture, and we'll look at that in a minute. What does it mean to be the image of the invisible God? Well, the very Greek word image can mean, and its most basic meaning, is copy. And so as we read this, um, we can plug that in and we can think through, is that what Paul is trying to portray here? That Jesus is the copy of the invisible God. Well, folks, I hope you're a little troubled by that. Because what do we think of when we think of copy? We think of an electronic device. We put a piece of paper on top and it copies it for us and it never looks the same as the original. Or if you're trying to copy somebody's handwriting or whatever, uh, very, it's very, um, it's, it, it's not often that we can match the original in any meaningful way. And so to call Jesus merely a copy of the invisible God, I think you would understand that does not do justice to what we know of Christ. Well, what is Paul trying to say here then? And that's one of, been one of the misrepresentations throughout church history. Well, he's a representation, a copy of, of God. But in context here, I think you can understand, this means the full representation of God. This Greek word can also, in context, talk about the exact, the full representation of who God is. And that is what Paul is trying to describe here. It, it, and he, he goes further. He is the exact representation, we could say, of the invisible God. And here he's reminding us that God is spirit. And God has never been able to fully be viewed 
or even comprehended by mankind. God was gracious in allowing some of his men, Moses, to see the back, um, the prophets to see some uh, marvelous manifestations of God's glory. But as we know, no one can look upon God and live. His glory is too great. He's too holy. And so when it talks about Jesus being the image of God, it really is referring to Jesus, even as uh, the Gospel of John talked about, the very incarnation of who God was, the very word, the very expression, the very image of God, who was invisible. Jesus gave us that fully human revelation, an image of the unseen God. He made apparent what was unseen. He alone was the visible manifestation of God and also his message to mankind. God was spirit. When Jesus came, we were able to look upon a person and we're able to read his word and we know the image. We know who God is as a result of Christ. Marvelous truth that we ought to wonder in. Now, can I just make a point here as we look at this truth and then this next one, the firstborn of all creation. Folks, as I was thinking about this passage this week, I was reminded that my responsibility to my congregation is to give the whole counsel of scriptures um, as much as is possible. Obviously, I probably won't ever be able to preach all the way through Genesis through Revelation for you. Uh, <clears throat> if I did, I'd have to keep it pretty shallow to be able to do that. But it's my goal to, to present the full counsel of God in teachings that Paul is giving us here are often more than what we normally meditate on when we think of, of Jesus. In other words, sometimes we tend, uh, even teachers can, if we're not careful, to just relegate Jesus to a few gospel verses. Now we're talking about the gospel, so let's talk about Jesus. Or to maybe ignore in some form or fashion his truth of his deity as God the creator. In some ways, sometimes if we're not careful, we can contain God the Father to the Old Testament. Let's read about God's word in the Old Testament, and we, we just always talk about God the Father. And then we get to the New Testament, and now in the New Testament we talk about Jesus Christ. And we don't see the flow or the connections between the two. And Paul won't let us do that. See, there is more about Jesus that we need to reflect on, and it takes time. That's why it's important for, even as we went through recently that study in Hebrews, Jesus, the high priest of another order. Why would we want to talk about that? Because God included it in his scripture. And that may not seem interesting to us, but folks, all the data about Jesus Christ ought to be interesting to us. We ought to want to know. We just sang more about Jesus. Well, I hope we meant that. We should want to know. He is the exact representation of a God that throughout the Old Testament people uh, could communicate with through others and, and see glimpses of and see manifestations, but they never really were able to view the invisible God. And then Jesus came, and now we're able to understand and view God through the image of Jesus Christ, and we ought to rejoice in that. But also rejoice in the fact that he is the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? And in fact, this is where one of those another one of those heresies came up, because it doesn't it almost sound like that Jesus was the first one to be created. 
Paul? What are you trying to say there? I think we would understand, uh, you know, very appropriately that that's not scriptural. That's heresy. And early on in church history, uh, some folks came up with that. Well, it must mean that Jesus is superior. He's important, but he was created. It says here the firstborn of creation. And the church had to say, no, 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 that's not right. That's heresy. Um, what is Paul trying to say here? Well, beyond the firstborn being the first one that is born, and that is the most common definition of this Greek word, and that makes sense, right? Arden is my firstborn. We could go on. But beyond that, there's also another aspect of this that in context makes perfect sense. To be firstborn in Bible times was what? It was a status as well. And a reign. A status of great privilege. In Bible times, the eldest was given all the privileges. Remember Jacob and Esau and all the mess and the battle of that ensued because that got... Um, Disproportion, and there was much disagreement about what was going on there. Esau had expectations, rightly so, according um, to the way that the structure of that society took place. And so when Paul describes Jesus here as firstborn of all creation, folks, let's not make it complicated. He's just saying that Jesus is exalted and ranks high over all creation. He's the firstborn in his position in his rank, that he is superior to all of the creation, and then we're going to find out next, that he created, by the way. But he's more important, he's superior, he is the most important. He ranks high above, because he's the creator. Now we see this concept in other portions of scripture as well. Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, that really is the same concept as what Paul's saying here, of his nature, the exact representation that could be copied as well in Colossians. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, and this is again referring specifically to his incarnation, not that he was created at some point in eternity past, but in his incarnation, let all God's angels worship him. Verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your king. Jesus is not the firstborn of many in creation, Otherwise, he would not be, it would not be appropriate to worship him as God. But he is firstborn in rank and exalted position. And he, folks, then, even as we're doing this morning, Jesus deserves all of our worship. Really? Just like God? Just like God. Because he is God. And as we sing this morning more like Jesus, we were giving worship to Jesus, the creator, the son, and that was so appropriate. We were honoring his superiority and his um, overarching rank in our lives. And that is important, folks, for us to do every day. And the more we learn about him, the more we see his uniqueness and his superiority in everything. And we should rejoice in that.
So be careful as well not to take a single verse out of context like some of folks did in ancient church history. Remember the context around that. Remember other scripture passages that uh, we that we have as well. Even in Psalm 89, uh, David is talking about his relationship with God, but it's obvious that he is referring to someone that would come from him. He says, you shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn and the highest of the kings of the earth. I will establish his offspring forever in his throne as the days of heaven. Jesus as the superior high rank, ranking king who would be over all. That's what Paul's giving us here. But he's not done yet. Let's continue in verse 16. For by him, the superior firstborn, this exact representation, this word of God, by him were all things created. He was not created. Paul now makes it clear, but he created all things. Well, what does it mean by all things? Well, Paul gives us an extended list here in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All that we see on the earth, all that we see as we look up in the skies at the heavens, um, those things that we can see with our eyes and spiritual things that he will describe now in the last part of the verse whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the creator who created it all. Have you spent time reflecting on that? Again, even as we talk about God's creation and the beauty that we see in the fall, don't we tend to think of God the Father and that's appropriate. He's the creator. But folks, we ought to think Jesus created that. Jesus is the creator, was the creator. And he continues, as Paul makes it clear, to hold, we'll see tonight, to hold it all together. Whatever you see with your eye, whatever you can't see, it was all created, all things, by the Son. And that, of course, eliminates the possibility that Jesus could be a part of the creation. And so he'll continue to explain further by making it clear the beloved son created all human and spiritual authorities as well. We had some friends visit recently. Uh, I guess it was August, right? Yeah. Uh, some friends of ours from Maryland, a uh, family that has young children like we do, as well as, and they, uh, the, the husband, Brian, kind of put some conviction in my heart one night. As we came back from a day trip and it was dark out and all everybody was going in and I was getting ready to go in. He was just standing outside looking at the night sky and just marveling. He's like, wow, the view here is so much better than what we have because they live close to Baltimore and, and the suburbs of Baltimore. And even though, even when we lived in, in Maryland, we lived out in the country and we had a lot of open space. We're able to go out and see the, the stars and we, we were able to see it a good number of constellations and planets and different things, but there was always the lights of the city. You could see that glow from, you know, east um, that you knew was just kind of hindering that. Well, you know, where we're at in New Hampshire, we obviously, we don't have as much of a problem. We do have some city lights and things, but it is more clear, and he was marveling at that. He's like, wow, you guys must enjoy this all the time. And I'm like, I should. <laughs> 
And the kids went back in, and I went out with him, and then Leslie and, and his wife, Kristen, came out, and we just spent some time marveling at those stars. What? What happened? I had this gorgeous, celestial, cosmic view, and I was ignoring it. I was taking it for granted. Well, so let's not take for granted this view that Paul gives us of our great creator, Jesus Christ. Let's take time to really think through and marvel like a jewel as we hold it up. He's the image. He's the representation, exact representation of God. He's firstborn. He's the creator of all. Wow. I get to serve him. That's remarkable. And he is over all human and spiritual authorities. And that's what that list means. Interesting list here. Um, Sandy read the same list in Ephesians. Thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities. I think in a general sense, this can be both earthly and, and spiritual. If you'll remember way back from our study in Ephesians, though, it does seem that Paul is primarily talking about spiritual authorities. Well, what could that be? Well, thrones in the Greek could refer to earthly, but also spiritual, angelic rulers. Well, why would Paul bring that up in this context? Well, we're going to find out later on that it does seem, although he doesn't give us a lot of details, maybe kind of frustratingly, but he does seem to be opposing religious and secular philosophies that were highlighting interest in supernatural powers as a further source of spiritual significance. Yeah, it's good that we have Jesus, but there's all these other powers too, and these angels, and, and let's not forget them, and, and you can have a spiritual experience by reflecting on them as well. It's really hard to go beyond that because we just don't have the details. But it seems as if Paul is making clear through this list that there was some sort of fascination with these things. Dominions here refused to a, refers to a class of spiritual rulers or angels that have authority over various spheres and locations. And really the next word is kind of the same thing. It was more of a common New Testament term for supernatural powers and authorities, but it had an emphasis on their having dominion over a long period of time, like longevity from ancient times, but over a specific <clears throat> sphere. And then authorities is a Greek word representing a Jewish and secular tradition where they would often talk about governing spiritual forces. And these all together represent a general description of supernatural forces that kind of Overlap. Well, Paul bring that up. Well, there does seem, there seems like, and I think this is apparent in this, there was a lot of speculation. People were really interested in different angels and these different spiritual authorities. And they and whatever teaching was going on in Colossae, it was focusing on some sort of spiritual experience that could come from um spending time considering these spiritual rulers in some aspect. And I think here, actually, Paul is so general is because he's not interested in providing further details because people are already caught up in endless speculation and interest in them. Folks, just in a general sense, whether it's Stephen King, we need to be aware that these types of authors write with increased speculation into the forces of darkness and supernatural things that 
we really don't have a business spending a lot of time in. In fact, the reason why books like that, he writes these books and horror movies and things like that, that they're so popular and so frightening, is that these books really do present a world as if Satan is king. And God is second rate, and Satan has all the power. Folks, if that were true, that would truly be frightening. But it's not true. Let's understand that. And so let's not spend our time. I, it was hard to say this with an instrument in my mouth. It's going to keep everything clean. <laughs> but let's not spend time reading a bunch of material that acts as if these supernatural powers, whatever they are, are um, ruling and more authoritative than God. It's almost like Paul is saying, the only reason I'm bringing these guys up at all is to point out that Jesus is superior to them all. So stop all your speculation about these supernatural powers. Don't worry about them. Now, just so we have an understanding here, are there supernatural authorities and, and rulers? Well, even Job, at the beginning of Job, do you remember when it talks about there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them? And these seem to be rulers or, or these types of angels. We're not told much. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about these. And so that ought to tell us to keep our speculation down. But what is the point of Job that I want to make clear? All of these spiritual authorities have to come before God. And he asks them their agenda. What's your schedule? What's your calendar for this week? From where have you come? Where have you been? And they have to give an account, even Satan himself, before God. And he said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And then he asks, of course, if he can do these awful things to Job. And he has to receive, Satan himself has to receive permission from God. Who's superior in these things? Not Satan and these supernatural authorities and rulers. They're not superior. They all have to appear before God. But there are rulers, even in Daniel 12. Um, the angel says to Daniel, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of our chief priests, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. There does, the Bible does indicate, it doesn't give us much information, that there are rulers over specific spheres. And Paul doesn't even go into detail, notice, whether the morality, whether they're good or bad. So, again, do, would we like to know more about how this all works out? Obviously, if Jesus created these authorities, which it says that he has, then when Jesus created them, they weren't evil. They were good. At some point, they turned evil. They turned away from God. We're not given a lot of the specifics on this. But we do have to understand there are, even though we don't know much about them, supernatural powers and authorities. And that Jesus is superior to them all. And he is their creator. All things, at the end of verse 16 then, were made, created through him. That means all of those spiritual, supernatural rulers were created through him and for him. And this is a beautiful thing as we realize that all of creation was created by the agency of Jesus Christ. But folks, don't miss that last part, please. We were created for him. How many times do we even talk about our salvation or even our relationship with God? You know, God 
God wants me to serve him. Or something along that line. God uh, saved me uh, from, with the gospel and gave me forgiveness. And all of that's true. But so often my point is we focus on ourselves and really it should be in that first statement I made. God allows me to serve or I serve God. God ought to be the emphasis in our service, not the fact that I'm his servant and he got a good deal. And I'm so thankful God has me on his side. No, it ought to be, forget about me. I'm here for him. I serve God. Let's talk about God. Let's not, let's not, let's be careful not to make the conversation all about me and what I've done for God, but let's talk about God and make sure that we're exalting him. Folks, that doesn't go over well in our world today because uh, the world says it's all about you, the individual. You have your own truth and you have your own reasoning and your own opinions and everybody's valid. And Paul just blows through all that and says, no, the only valid opinion, the, the one that we were created for was Jesus Christ. And so we need to operate and serve him in all things. Creation was made through him, but for him. In other words, just simply, our lives aren't all about us. Our lives are all about him. How often do we live that on a daily basis? We do a pretty poor job of that. And Jesus, and Paul makes it clear here. We, we are his trophy case, in other words. And we, all we do is point people to his accomplishments and to what he's done. It's not all about us. Then this verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If you're still kind of stumbling over that first verse about the firstborn, Paul again makes it clear. This word, this description for he is before all things has the idea that Jesus, in, this is a statement of eternality, that he was before, in eternity past, before all things. And this, again, may, even makes more clear. Now, if he's creator, folks, that means he's God. If you miss that, then make that connection, please. But now, even more, he's making it clear that Jesus was before, he was in eternity past. That means he has to be God. He's deity what Paul is saying here. And not only that, uh, but in him, all things hold together. So what is he saying here? Jesus is God. All things were created for not our enjoyment, although he allows us to enjoy his creation, but we were created for Jesus' enjoyment. Well, there's a switch. Something we ought to consider more often. He is the master architect. In him, all things hold together. This word hold together has the idea of he put them together like a master architect or engineer puts everything together, and he continues to hold them together. And that means ownership, folks. The boys are excited. They, they still play with the younger boys anyway, play with Legos and Luke and Kendall have this new thing that they're working on where it's a it's a boat that they're hoping will get the float and has two of the not the rudders, but I guess the, the motors on the back end. Um, what's the word for the rudder? What? Propeller, that's right. And Luke has hooked up a battery to the back of that boat, and those those uh, propellers just spin 
you know, really, and I, I kind of joke around, I put my finger in, I'm like, oh, oh that hurt, you know. It, it, it spins really fast, and it really is remarkable, and they've spent a lot of time on this, and they're hoping that, that, that what they made it for, they'll accomplish, that it will actually float. And they have a lot of pride in that, but they also have a sense of ownership. They don't want people messing with that. Um, and we can understand that. But folks, even more amazing than what we can do with Legos, or, or wood, or, or steel beams, or whatever in creation, is the fact that Jesus as a master architect that was responsible for it all. And he still holds us together. Our very molecules, every strand of DNA, all Jesus has to do is withdraw his presence from us. And we're gone. We're in oblivion. Because he holds it all together. The next time you 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 um study molecules in the smallest units of existence of matter, think Jesus holds all of that together. It's amazing. Do we often think about that? We should. Jesus is worthy of that kind of reflection from us. <clears throat> Paul reminds us of that. It reminds me of Paul's description of God in Acts 17. Remember he quotes one of the poets, in him we live and move and have our being. I love that phrase. Well, folks, if that's true of God, and Jesus holds us all together, then he is God. It doesn't take a degree in mathematics to figure that out, right? So, in the end here, as we get ready for tonight, is Paul transitions into what Jesus has done for us in his authority over us. He's marked that the Son created everything, and it was good. All the, cre the creation account that we have in Genesis, that was the Son, as well as God the Father, that created it. And we know that it was all good. Well, what happened? Sin corrupted it and corrupted man's relationship with God. And what we're going to see tonight is this wasn't daunting for the Son, that he provided a solution for that as well. That would be fully effective and provide restoration for us. In the midst of sin's marring of God's creation, of Jesus' creation, Jesus provided a way to have reconciliation and eternal restoration of that same creation. We're going to marvel at that tonight. But as we finish today, I just want us to marvel on these truths. That Jesus is the exact representation of God sent to us so that we can know invisible God. That he is the highest rank. He is superior over all things. And he has created all things. Folks, if that is the case, there is no excuse for us not to here at Village Chapel Baptist Church this morning fall down and worship the beloved Son. Father, thank you for these truths. Marvelous. We need to give more consideration to these. We need not just to pull a few verses out of context and talk about Jesus for a few minutes. And not that it's not good to talk about the gospel and him as our Savior, certainly, but there's so much more as well that we need to meditate on. Help us to take the full counsel of God when it comes to Jesus and truly know him more. And marvel at all that he is to us. Father, even as we finish today, help us to worship him well, realizing he is truly worthy.
affliction. We don't have to fear those evil supernatural powers that our society fears today because we know that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. And he will deal with all of those things. We don't have to be afraid. We serve him. We don't cower before Satan's minions. We're careful. We rely on Jesus' power. We know that he will come and bring full restoration. And so we have victory. So help us to focus on his all-superior authority and majesty and serve Jesus effectively while we're here. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.